0: Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome to another episode of The Voice of the Valley. Well, we just started the new year just a few weeks ago, and I'm sure that you have made some New Year's resolutions. And as we talked on our first podcast about being uh, Christ-centered, that Christ would be the focus of this year, we also hope that this would um, encourage you to be uh, outgoing in your evangelistic zeal, um, to be mission-minded, to go out with the knowledge that you have to share with your friends and families. And today, as we think of being mission-minded, I have two men with me. I have Josh Ryan, and I have Andy Denome with me this morning. Welcome, guys. How are you? Good. Good morning.
1: Yeah, doing great. Thanks for having us.
0: Good, okay. Josh. How was your how was your drive over to Yeah, come on this morning, or did mm-hmm. you come over this morning?
1: It was good. Yeah, I came over this morning, and it's so warm. It's winter, but it feels like kind of like spring. So yeah. no, it's awesome. Great. I love it. Yeah. No, I, I well, honestly I love the snow, but yeah, either either snow or nothing. I'd rather have
0: you know no slush. You know, yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. Andy, how are you doing?
2: Doing really well. Okay. Doing really well. Good to be here. This is a great
0: topic. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I am uh, too. I am too. Well, let's jump let's jump straight into it. Josh, uh you've been working with the MizTech people in Othello for uh, about two years now, right?
1: Yeah, just well, in Othello directly almost well in this this May I think will be officially two years. Okay.
0: Okay. So what's it like What's it like to be ministering to people who are in your own country um, yet are completely unreached? What's that like?
1: Yeah, honestly, I just feel really privileged. It's uh, it's really exciting to be able to ha- be part of seeing um, this incredible opportunity that God has put right in front of us. Um, uh, I mean, the fact that such a large, historically difficult people to reach have left their homeland and migrated up here just within the last couple decades um, is incredible. And, you know, it's, it's mind-blowing to think about how these people grew up in a place that never had any evangelical presence to speak of. Mm-hmm. Some places, maybe a little bit, but some of the tribes, nothing mm-hmm. that we know of. And uh, they and their families, uh, have they grew up directly in these, in these areas where they've shut out the rest of the world for thousands of years. And um, only these last couple decades, they've migrated all the way up here. So it's it's exciting to be contacting these people who are just forgotten, people don't know about, and just discovering their stories. Um, well, I mean, one of the things, too, over the last uh, century, there's actually been a lot of work to try to reach these people. Um, they're the Southeast, the, the, we call them the, the MISTEC people of Southeastern Guerrero, um, and they've had, people have had very little success in trying to reach them Um the individual tribes are really independent. Um, they are very distrusting about ciders. They don't generally allow foreigners to even come in and they, sometimes they don't even allow people from nearby tribes. Um, they almost always persecute a Christian. Um, so they, whether it's socially and sometimes violent, there are a bunch of martyrs in this area who died trying to share the gospel and sharing the gospel. And, um, by God's grace, there's been some language translators who have gotten in there and gotten traction and trust with the tribes and they've translated parts of the Bible. But, um, even after 60, 70 years of work, there's only, uh, two that I, I, I think there's just two full new testaments that have been translated hmm. and there's only a few small groups of Christians total because, you know, so you have about 200,000 people there, um, and, and some have now migrated away and, um. That's including all these different tribes, all these different dialects within that conglomerate. Um, And there's only maybe a couple hundred Christians. So that's like 0.1% evangelical, perhaps. And so, you know, the the thing has changed recently. About 20,000 of those people have left looking for, you know, all different parts of the world, Mexico. And 2,000 of them right here in Othello, which is just um, amazing. God's created this opportunity so that, you know, their unbending worldview that they wouldn't let anybody tell them otherwise has been left behind somewhat and they come up here and all of a sudden it's a different world and they're much more open to listen, at least listen to the gospel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for my wife and I, you know, being missionaries to the people, it's just an incredible, unprecedented opportunity. It's exciting. God's put it right in front of us. And um, because the people almost always are excited to talk to us, um, which is awesome. You know, usually, a lot of times if you're in a foreign place, you have to spend a long time just to get basic trust yeah. with the people. But in this case, they're just excited to talk to somebody who wants to know about them and their language, because um, very few people do. Um, so it's not to say we don't have still have huge barriers, difficulties socially and uh, language, but God's given us a lot of grace with them. And, uh, and so we, you know, being part of the host culture, we get this awesome job of just being hospitable, and it's just really, honestly, kind of natural mm-hmm. to just receive them into our homes, share our lives, and our faith as we do it. So it's it's honestly been um, really exciting.
0: So you you went to WSU, right? Mm-hmm. And you got a degree in engineering. Is that correct? Yeah, civil engineering with water. Civil, civil engineering. Emphasis. Okay. So how did you end up in Othello as a missionary from Sun Valley Church?
1: Yeah, and I never thought I'd be in Othello. Um, it was never in my mind when I drove through Othello to go to <laughs> WSU that I'd be there long long term. Um, yeah, I was planning to be a water engineer, and with the idea that I would go to a foreign place that wouldn't let Christians get in. And um, I mean, that was just my thought. God had I felt that God had called me um, from a young age to get the gospel to people who just never heard it, where there's no foundation. And um, and so that was kind of where I was heading, and I was excited to do it. And God just led in different ways. He led me to Mexico, which I never wanted to go to Mexico, um, because everybody seems to go to Mexico. seems like there's enough work being done, but he put us in touch with people groups so we realized there's actually very very little being done and then when we came to talk to those people and see how many of those unreached people groups are present right where I'm from it just it became just a clear you know set of events to where other people also just confirmed it. you know this is something that it seems like God has called it just with the experience we had it just uh, uh, we were thankful to have our elders also confirm that it seems like something that God would have you do is to go here. Hmm. So yeah, God God moved me from different directions, but yeah. um, He made it clear each step of the way.
0: Cool. And would you change that for the world, your calling?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, uh, the, you could try to fantasize of some awesome calling that looks cooler, but I mean, yeah. reality is, is um, I tend to under-romanticize just how amazing the reality of being able to reach these completely unused people right in my backyard and have them want to talk to me, so like uh, it's
0: it's incredible so yeah cool man yeah that's awesome awesome well i, I think of I think of acts one eight um, as we as we think of missions and especially uh you right now as you are in othello i my mind goes to acts one eight and it says, but you Will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and this is Christ obviously talking to his disciples. He says, "You will receive the Holy Spirit, um, or you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth." So there's almost this this great commission is is giving specific yeah. locations. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so this is this is for both of you guys. Why why does Jesus why does he start with Jerusalem? Why does Jesus start with Jerusalem?
2: Well, it's because that's where they are. I mean, that's the place to start. And your faithfulness um, in evangelism and discipleship, which we're called um, to do. Is evangelize and make disciples of all nations. Um, that doesn't come with a uh, different geographic location. It says go into all the world, and that go is as you are going, as you are going in your day to day life. Do these things, and so starting there is the obvious place to start. You know, Jesus started in a particular place. It was where he was, and he spent his entire he, sp- he spent his entire mission here on earth in a relatively small area, um, reaching out to people as he went along his way. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's a, that's not just a, um, a, um, biography that we read of one particular man in his, in his ministry. It's example that we're supposed to have. I mean, it's, it's Nicodemus coming to him and asking him it's him meeting the woman by the well of course he went to Samaria but he stayed in that region and and so I think it's a it's a mandate to say don't just think about doing this in a foreign area do it where you're at Mm -hmm. all times because that's that's the mission I love what a friend of ours told us one time about um foreign missions is that uh Um, A plane ticket doesn't change your desire to fulfill that great commission, Hmm. right? Just because um, you have a passion for someone somewhere else does not mean that you're going to be a great missionary. You need to be doing that where you're at Hmm. in your day-to-day life, and that's our call.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I do think there's several big reasons, like theologically, uh, just the whole story of Scripture, why Jesus starts in Jerusalem, just it plays such a huge role in all the prophecies and with the, the kingdom of God. But um, I think the simple, straightforward reason is just because like uh, Acts 2.5, just like right after that verse, it says that there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So, you know, all over the place, there's these Jews, um, not Christians, um, who are there from all these, all over the, it says everywhere. And um, when the Holy Spirit comes with power, and the apostles all of a sudden miraculously start preaching the gospel in all these different languages... Um, so men, these all these men from these foreign lands hear the gospel, come to faith, and inevitably return as Christians and with the gospel message. Right. Um, and you know, we don't see a lot of those stories directly, but you, you see the effect of them in history that that did happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, like you know, today we'd say that um, Jerusalem's a really strategic crossroads mission. That you know, you could make a you know mission model to like look for that place, but the Holy Spirit just had that plan. God sovereignly had it set up so the Roman Empire had roads all over the place so sure. these people could travel far to get there. And, um, you know, apostles, I'm sure, didn't have that plan in mind, you know. and But it happened to be Pentecost, so they were there, had all these people there. And um, they start preaching the gospel, and they end up reaching in a day what they wouldn't have been able to reach with a matter yeah. of decades, trying to reach these
2: individual right. places. Mm-hmm. So, so this was a huge crossroads mission. And it's, you know, it's like that in America right now. I mean, the, the world is coming to America and the opportunities to reach people, just like you're doing in Othello right now, the opportunities to reach people who have come here who have no idea what the gospel is at all. The outreach is phenomenal, even in Yakima, because Yakima has changed so much in the last 10 years. And all of a sudden you see people on the street that you know are not from Yakima. <laughs> and um and it just gives us an idea of how the world is showing up here and, and the opportunities that we have to do some degree, to do foreign missions in our own context in our day-to-day life. Yeah, for sure.
0: So this, this idea of starting in Jerusalem, so if we take it into context, starting in Yakima, should this fuel our passion for the unreached people of Yakima?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, just if we can realize that just like God had sovereignly placed the apostles at that point in history, in that geographical location for the sake of people all over the place to get the gospel, um, if we see how God did that. And we look at our situation in Yakima. There there really are thousands of unreached people in Yakima. Um and some of them have yet to be kind of discovered and, and named and, and figured. I, we would go around with the language diagnostic tool to try to figure out what tribes or people were from. And um, I, we were amazed at how much variation there was just in Yakima. I mean, we, we didn't get that far, but there's a lot of variation. Um, so it's amazing that the people around you who you don't think are that big of a mission field but mm. are people who are, come from places that have you know, no impact of the gospel. And so you know, God's put S- Sun Valley Church in such an awesome location to be able to impact different parts of the world, potentially. Like, God's put us here for a mission um, to reach not just Yakima, the the goal of the gospel is something that's literally to get to every corner of uh, the world, it says in in Acts and in the Great Commission. It's all across the world. So, um, yeah, we need to send more missionaries to different parts of the world, for sure, um, specifically. But we can't forget about all the huge opportunities that God's just put right in front of us that we, we can't ignore as well. So it should convict us, but also get us excited to be able to make these relationships with different foreigners.
2: I think even even in the context of day-to-day life, I think that um, we're um, naive to believe that people that we work with day and day who are not from other countries actually know what the gospel is. And they assume they know who Christ is, but that may be a historic Christ. And they assume they know what church is about, but they've never really been in a church. Mm -hmm. And so clarifying those things of who Christ is, even as we go through our lives, can can result in um, that mission being fulfilled in the context of our day-to-day life to evangelize and then disciple and then those people in turn evangelize and disciple if they all um are faithful followers of Christ and and so we can't i don't think we can um i don't think we can overemphasize how much myth there is even in our own culture about who Christ is mm-hmm. and what the purpose of his church is mm-hmm.
0: I used to have this you know grandiose idea that I was going to be You know this missionary out on the foreign field i was going to go do and accomplish god's will which is great which is a this is a great thought but this idea here in acts one says if you're not doing it here why do you think you're going to do it there so yeah yeah, it's a great passage. I, I I love referring back to that. We always we always think of the great you know commission Matthew twenty eight. Go therefore mm-hmm. and make disciples of all nations. Like okay, yeah, that's the rallying cry of you know modern missions, which is great. That's a great passage. But I think we forget Acts one eight, where it says, start in Jerusalem, and then slowly start making your way, your way out. So, um, so when we think of when we think of the term. Uh, missionary, or when we look at the term missionary, it's obviously not found uh, in Scripture, uh, but this root word carries carries uh, the connotation of being sent out, missionary being, being sent out. Um, so the question then is, if we are not on the field, if we are not on the foreign field, are we not partaking in this call of being a missionary or making a making disciples. Does that make sense? Mm
2: -hmm. Um, So I think when we're trying to define missionary, we're looking at a decades-old discussion about what is missions? You know, what does that look like? And it seems like it's gotten a little cloudy, and then it's starting to actually clear up again, I think, here even in the last decade. But I think before we start, start talking about how we identify a person, we got to remember what the mission is. So we, we have a mission, and I think the mission's um, pretty clear. So if we define the mission and then see who's supposed to participate in that, we can say, okay, here's the mission. Here are the people who are supposed to be a part of that. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the mission is to evangelize and disciple and to serve so that all those whom God has called as his people can worship and enjoy him forever, right? Is that the mission? Mm -hmm. That's what the Bible teaches. And it's interesting that Jesus not only prays for his disciples in John 17, I love when he prays for his disciples, and then I love the way he prays for the people that his disciples are going to reach, those who will believe through their word, that they be one, um, Father, just as you and I are one. That's the mission that He is sending those guys out on. So if we look at the Bible, who's excluded from that mission? Is anyone excluded from it? No. I mean, no one's excluded for that. So Scripture focuses on the mission. So the people that were in Jerusalem that you were just talking about who became. Um, They became carriers of the good news to their neighbors as well as to people beyond that. But those people that carried to their neighbors were on that mission, right? The people that were dispersed through the persecution went to where they were going um, um, to reach safety, and they took the gospel with them, and they were on mission. Mm -hmm. Um, And we think of Paul and Silas and Barnabas and Timothy and Titus who were in the mission field. But they were just people in a different context in a in a different geography uh, participating in the same mission, so I think we're all called to be in that mission, and you could say well i 'm called in my own personal local mission which is which is true and then and then talk about those who are in the foreign mission yeah, I think that um, the word missionary and
1: you know, field. You know, what's the field? I think both those words are sloppily used a lot of times, and so, and I think that um, there is the idea that the field, kind of like what you're saying, is out there, far away, and yeah, the Great Commission and Acts one eight. I mean, they don't let you say that. It says every corner, mm-hmm. <laughs> if it, right. the whole world. So uh, we have to. I th- I think. I mean, I, we tend to think that the fish are in some other pond sometimes. So we have our own context and it just seems like it's mundane because we see it all the time. And, uh, we tend to think that it's all fished out Mm -hmm. and the fish Mm -hmm. are in the other pond and that's where the real field is. Right. Um, and I, but that's not the case. I think there's always a possibility of immediate harvest to to be able to share the gospel and have someone come to Christ and have them become part of the family of God in a church, um, right where you're at, even if it doesn't look like it. And, and I think Jesus points out that the disciples blindness to that in John four, when he says, look all around you, um, uh, see that the fields are white for harvest, Mm -hmm. um, So, and also I think too, the the Great Commission is interpreted, you know, we interpret lots of different ways. A lot of different traditions do it in weird ways. Uh, I think it's really clear that it's to the church. So Mm -hmm. all Christians, um, but not just individually. So it doesn't mean like you go by yourself to go make disciples. It's a, this is, this is a family business Mm -hmm. (laughs) that we do this together and so, um, yeah, it's clear we're called this, this is the field. So Yakima is very much a mission field. And, um, the problem is is we a lot of times don't realize it. You know, there's bullets flying over heads. Like there's, there's really a war going on for the souls of men. The Holy Spirit's advancing the kingdom of God's growing, but a lot of times we're kind of blind to it and we think we're in a safe zone kind of. Mm. And, um, the reality is it's, I mean, you think that the dangerous places are these dark places. Well, this is really dark here as well. Yeah. um, um I will say, however, there there is at least a... There is a distinction in some level. There is a, There are places where there just are no Christians, and the cost of standing up to be for Christ is way higher than here. And that is a different kind of battle zone, for sure. The cost in Yakima, if you stand up for Christ, you, you could lose your job, maybe, at the worst. I mean, you get social shaming. Or worse, I think there's real sacrifice. I don't want to make those little. But still, there's other places where you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And so I think we need to pray... Especially and even honor those kind of, those Christians who are standing up in those places, mm-hmm. but we need to realize it's not any less important to be sharing the gospel to just as in, to lost souls here. They're the same. Mm-hmm. They're both mission fields. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think it's I think it's easy for us as as Christians to look at foreign missionaries, those who have gone out, especially those who have given their lives to mm-hmm. almost almost. Put them on a higher level, almost venerate them in a sense, um, as them being better than just an ordinary average Christian who lives in Yakman is faithful at his job or her job and is faithful in sharing the gospel. That these these people who go to the foreign field are are something different. They're they're better than almost. Um, So how do we how do we combat this notion? Especially, I mean, thinking thinking of you know. Uh, Hudson Taylor, thinking of Jim Elliot thinking of you know the most recent John chow um, thinking of these men who who go out who are willing to give up their life for christ um, how do we how do we keep this notion from turning into a a almost worship of these these men and women who go out under the mission field well it's it's really easy
2: and um I don't think without reason to look at those people and say they've committed, they've really committed their lives. And and like Josh just said, those people like the old missionaries used to pack all their clothes in their coffin and go to the mission field and never expected to return and ever see family again. They were so committed. And you look at you look at William Carey and you look at how how remarkable that guy's life was and how much he got done. Mm-hmm. It's incredible of everything he did in India in a relatively short time. And so that's that's a life certainly deserving of admiration, but at the same time we have to be really careful because non-Christians also venerate people. Mm-hmm. And it's our tendency to, uh, want to really revere more remarkable men and women. You know, I think about Amy Carmichael. I mean, Amy Carmichael lived in the slums, um, and, you know, spent her entire life with kids and, and, um, but I think that's a little bit of a man centered kind of view. That can be a man centered kind of view of missions also. So, um, I think you look at Christ's example. I was just reading this the other day. You look at Christ's example of his ministry and going out in the, in the mission field. And I think this is one of the ways you can kind of combat this. So Christ, Christ um, wandered around and had people following him. And in Matthew 9, 35 and 36, it says he taught He preached, and he healed the diseases and the infirmities of the people. And he looked at the people, and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Mm -hmm. And he had compassion on them. Mm -hmm. And Matthew's version of the gospel is then when he says, um, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers, the laborers are few. And so he ties that right into the, the mandate or the labor of evangelizing and discipling the people right where you are, right? Does that make sense? And so how dramatic, I mean, we can't do miracles, right? Um, But how dramatic was Christ's mission in solely that he shared the gospel with people, he discipled people, and he cared for their needs? It wasn't that dramatic, really. Um, If we look at it from a human perspective, we can do those very same things and follows Christ's, hmm. um, pattern of that. And, and if we had the opportunity to ask a William Carey, uh, or, or even a Paul, apostle Paul, who is your perfect example of who a missionary is? We'd have to look to Christ mm-hmm. and say, who we really want to be <laughs> is Jesus Christ and be Christ-like in our in our mission. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So um, our goal should be, yeah, we should admire, I think we should give those people respect and look at that and say, man, I would really love to emulate that person. Like Paul says, follow me as much as I follow Christ, or imitate me as much as I imitate Christ. The thing we really want to imitate is is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay. Second point, I think, and Josh kind of hit on this a little bit too. The second thing to think about is, um, you know, a conversion of a Muslim in Central Africa is no greater in the kingdom of heaven than the conversion of my unbelieving coworker. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still another follower of -hmm. Jesus Christ, right? And the angels in heaven sing about that, Mm -hmm. right? They give glory for that. And so I think it's, it's easy to think that person in the foreign field is is dealing under worse conditions and their their um, work is so much more dramatic. But we really got to look at the goal, and the goal is to have more faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And no matter where that happens, it's an absolutely outstanding thing. Mm-hmm. Whether it's whether it's me and my job every day or Joshua the Texan Othello, we can't we can't. Um, grade who is better when the product is basically the same product, a faithful follower of Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, amen. Yeah, I I do think you're right. I think that
1: it's uh, very easy to make out, have missionaries who are far away and and make them into something that they're um, not, they're really not. Uh, it, we, uh, we, we assume that they have to be these ultra-spiritual giants of the faith that are some kind of extremist to be able to go to the foreign field and preach the gospel. And I think that um, it's a little like the effect that Jesus talks about when he says that a prophet's never accepted in his hometown. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, when you see the day-to-day life of a missionary, it's actually very, sometimes very unflattering, um, <laughs> very underwhelming. Um, and uh, you might even find yourself pretty cynical about it, mm-hmm. uh, about his impact. I mean, it's, it's spiritual. I mean, it's the thing. You don't see a lot of grandiose stuff. That's why people didn't like Jesus, because he yep. looked really normal. Right. Um, and so I think, uh, a lot of are actually very underwhelming if you get to know him. Um, um... And, and, and the other thing um, is like, yeah, so if you're there and it's in your midst, it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But, yeah, if it is far away, it's easy to kind of assume that um, there is some kind of legend because you only hear the good stuff a lot mm-hmm. of times. Mm-hmm. Um, you could, they don't report everything. There's a lot of embarrassing stuff I don't want to report. So, like, you know, there's, it's easy to over, over-romanticize over them. So, like, in the, in your context, in, like, in a home context where you see people all the time, it's easy to under-romanticize them. There's, like, oh, they're just, you know, I'm better than them. You know, think think of yourself more highly than you ought to. But then when someone's far away, it's either do the opposite and then over-romanticize it like it's some kind of dream world where you see God mm-hmm. do incredible miracles every moment. and. Yeah. Um, and so like, yeah, so the question is, how do you guard against that? So I think it's true. It does, does happen. And, um, yeah, just a couple, I had a couple ideas and points. I think, um, it's really important to make sure that God's ultimately the one who gets all the glory and veneration. We know that, but like, we have to be really diligent in doing that. Cause I, I think, um, Paul is really diligent in doing so. Like he just almost never thanks anybody directly. I think there's maybe one time in Romans, um, he, Brings up facts. He's diligent to bring up all these good things that are encouraging you. Like you're growing in your faith. All these things, but he almost always thanks God for those things. He doesn't. He doesn't. The, the audience is the whole church. He's saying, "I thank God for your faith in these things." He's not flattering them directly. You know, it's not just trying to puff them up. He's honoring them um, publicly but for the sake of God. God's the one who did it. He began it. Um, so, you know, he thanks God for their faith, their hope, their love. He thanks God that their, you know, their concerns been renewed for him. Um, he thanks God that he, that he gave Titus the motivation to um, go and, and love the, um, the Corinthians. You know, it, he, he just doesn't give thanks away very quickly to people at all. Um, he's insisting that God's the one who uh, works, um, it causes us to to live and to act according to his good pleasure. Um, so he gets all the credit,, um, and we know this. Uh, we but we cannot rob God of honor he deserves. Um, so if anything good is happening in me or anybody, it's God's the one who's making it happen. Mm-hmm. So we should publicly thank God for the good work a missionary is doing, and we should also publicly thank God for um, you know the work, the good work of faith that local members are doing. So, we need to be diligent at just doing that a lot, I think, more publicly. Um, and second, I, that, I don't mean to say by that that we shouldn't honor people. I think we should. It's okay to honor the work of a missionary or, or someone who is uh, walking in faith because Paul actually tells us to outdo one another in showing honor. Um, and he tells, says to honor men like Epaphroditus, who nearly died for the work of Christ. Um, and then he also, you know, like some more, more examples, says elders who rule well, Um, should be worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in teaching and preaching. Um, And so, you know, there's a certain position. We're really egalitarian in the United States. We like everybody to get all the same honor. You know, everybody should be on the same level. Um, But God actually venerates even martyrs in a special way. You see in Revelation in a special way. Yes, there's actually something. um, It's okay to honor people for the work that God has done in their hearts to, to work um, for his good pleasure. And, and so you can directly honor people. You should even directly honor widows. It says. it says honor widows who are truly widows. And so even people who are just lowly, who in, in your local congregation, who like the world says, aren't, you know, much used to society and those things, God says like up, up, uphold them. Um, and, uh, and so like, I don't think we need to be afraid to thank people, um, you know, I, I just think we should do have it hemmed in in, the, in this context to where we are clearly, ultimately giving all the glory to God. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, we should be trying to honor people, but we need to simultaneously be making clear that, like, praise God that this is his work. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I think we can do both more. Um and it would help <laughs> be it, say, if we're just doing you know just missionaries that that's a problem, but it, it helps when um you know we honor the people that God tells us to honor, and we do it more
2: so.
0: yeah, as, as you guys were thinking i was I was reminded of Paul writing to the Corinthians, right and he says as as this division is happening that some are following Paul, some right. are following apollos, you know there's this there's these divisions that are taking place he's he says who Who's Paul? Yeah. Who's Apollos? You know, Paul, one of the greatest men to ever walk this earth, is saying, "Don't, don't look to me. Don't look to Apollos. Look to the one who's who's giving the growth, who's who's doing the work, and that's yeah. that's Christ." Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. And later in one of the letters, he he says, "We're we're at the end of the uh, procession." You know. Um, and he's he's rebuking the Corinthian church, and you're all in the front, and, you know, you're all at the front of the parade, and we're just the poor captives, the poor slaves of Christ who are at the end of the procession. And so Paul was, Paul didn't, um, never wasted really an opportunity to to say what it meant to be a slave, mm-hmm. to actually a slave of Christ and what that looked like, what the humility of that looked like.
1: Yeah, he always made himself lower. Yeah. Like he was always on un- talking unflatteringly about himself. So I think it would also help if missionaries were honest. Um, that's always good.
2: <laughs> well, and <laughs> there's there is a and there's a degree of artistic license you have to remember. And and it's interesting if you read different biographies, the difference between autobiographies of missionaries and then biographies who are written about missionaries. Hmm. Um, the one is a little more like interviewing someone and asking them what it's like to be out in the field. And then the other one may have a lot of facts, but there is always a little bit of artistic license, kind of like you mm-hmm. said, that makes like every day is this big romantic, you know, we saved a thousand souls today or we traveled up the Sea and we had twenty Convert kind of deal. And, and that's yeah. that's not real. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I just listened to I just listened to an autobiography, or not an autobiography, a biography on Eric Little mm. last summer. And I remember as I was listening to it, it's like this guy never did anything wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that was truly the sense that I felt, just because of the way he was he was written about, the way he was talked about, was that he was just like so almost perfect yeah. that there was no issues. Um which is unfortunate because I think this is where we get these ideas that these yeah. guys are, are far better than they actually are. Yeah. So. so Andy, you you are an elder. Um, you are passionate about missions. Um, what would be your word of encouragement to those who are who are considering overseas missions?
2: Well, the encouragement is is pursue it, you know, investigate it, check into it. Because if you're, you are one of those people who are willing to go out there and are willing to um, risk your life in a foreign context for the sake of the gospel, as a church, we'd wanna encourage anybody to do that because we wanna see lost people saved in every corner of the world. So if you're that particular person, um, um, pursue that. And I think as far as pursuing steps Toward that, I think there's some spiritual things to think about, and then there's some practical things to think about. I I think if you look at the missions world um, across this kind of broad brushstroke of missions, um, it's really easy to fall into what we just kind of talked about, to be really enamored with missions and the whole idea of being a Christian in a foreign context, and and. And again, that's I think people have to have that kind of urging for them to want to do that, but I think you got to be careful of being passionate about missions more than you are passionate about followers of Christ. We want people to be followers of Christ and and I love the Moravian the Moravians when they used to send people out from their you know, from their, their little community to go out in the mission field. Everybody trained in some way to be um, functional out in the mission field. And they used to send people off with um, saying that the, that the lamb who was slain would receive the reward for his suffering. So, that was the send-off. That was the most important thing that they were thinking about about sending people out that there would be more and more followers of Christ. So I think your primary, I think that primary urge to see um, people converted, to see um, sinners saved, to see those people who are bent for hell (laughs) um, find peace, hope, and joy, and eternal love with Christ I think that's got to be a major goal, um, for you, regardless of the context. So exam, I think you got to really examine your heart and ask you, because a lot of people in the missions field right now get pretty disillusioned and they go out with an idea that missions is kind of this Christian living in a foreign context. And it's not, um, it is to some degree because you still have to be a faithful follower of Christ day in and day out. But, um, The goal is to have followers of Christ, and there's a lot of sacrifice. I've, I've taught. I was just talking to a missionary the other day. He said the first two years out in the field were his worst two years, Hmm. and um, that's like that for a lot. And all of a sudden, they have to. People have to realize there's a humility that comes like this, and it is all about God. Hmm. It is God's mission, and He has a church for His mission. Um, So. Examine your heart, and then, practically speaking, here at Sun Valley, um, um, Rick Whitmer is the is the missions director here. I'd get, I'd contact Rick and talk to him about um, helping you discern whether that's a true calling or not, because the local church is key in sending out missionaries, mm-hmm. um, in discerning in training, in sending. Um, you have to have the local church involved in that. And we have steps in place here to do that. Um, so I'd encourage them to do that. Read biographies. Yeah, read them. Read them with the right um, heart. But understand some of the trials that people went through. Man, I had an arm. Judson lost three wives, I think. Um, spent a couple of years in confinement in a prison cell that was not much bigger than him. Um, think about what the costs are to this. Examine the costs. And so I think reading biographies will give you some of that. Participate in short-term missions. Talk to guys like Josh, who um, spend time with guys like Josh here and, and see what that looks like day in and day out in outreach. And, and the last thing, again, is if you're not, if you're not in evangelism, in discipleship, And in service now, where you're at, um, you really can't expect to do that in a foreign concept. Mm -hmm. So get involved in your church. Start reaching out to your coworkers. You have unbelieving family. Reach out to your unbelieving family. Um, Be a part of discipleship opportunities. And, And I think service a service is a big part of that also because any place you go in the world, you're going to have to serve people in a community. And if you're a person that doesn't have a heart for people and their needs also, be sure you're, you're kind of following that triad of, um, the mission, uh, evangelize, disciple, and, and serve even in your local context.
0: Well, there you have it. Some Valley, we pray that, uh, Throughout this year you will be full of Christ and in return making Christ known to your friends and loved ones. Um, if you are considering um, the mission field, if you feel God's calling on your life, we do ask that you would contact the contact the church, contact Rick, and uh, he'll uh, certainly help you as you work that out. Um, we pray that you have a great day as you make... Christ known in this valley. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday and next week on The Voice of the Valley. Have a great day, Sun Valley Church.